gonna go to part six. This will be our last and final concluding installment in uh, The Habits of a Righteous Life. Again, we're trying to connect this idea that the impetus, the energy, the consistency behind any new habits with Jesus has to come from a sense of thank you, from a sense of gratitude, from a sense of, man, I, I am so grateful for what you've done. I want to begin to develop these habits. I want to remind you a couple of things. We just had this sermon come online at Church Home talking about responding. Remember, your Christianity is not a resolve. It's not a reaction. It's not a resistance. That's where you get weary. When you turn your faith into resolve, when you turn your faith into just saying no, when you turn your faith into a reaction to CNN or a reaction to Fox News or a reaction to the Democrats or a reaction to the Republicans, and that becomes your faith? No, that's a new construct, by the way. Republicans and Democrats is like a baby concept for policies, and this is a baby country. God's eternal. Let's, let's all just calm down for a second. Like the Republicans and Democrats were just thought up. It was just a new thought that just happened. I know it's been your whole life and my whole life, but like it just happened. The, 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 the constitution of this country, it, 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 it's great, wonderful, whatever. It, it, it's new, it's brand new. God's not new. God's eternal. God is above it all. God's beyond it all. So let's not really insult ourselves by turning our faith into a reaction or a CNN or Fox News talking point. That's not who we are. We serve at the leisure of the eternal one, the great God of the whole earth. And some, at times, policies seem to line up with who our heavenly father is, but oftentimes they do not. So let's turn our relationship with God into a response and only a response. What are you responding to? His forgiveness, his love, his gifted righteousness. Now respond. So what we're suggesting in this series is all the new spiritual habits you're developing in your life, let them be energized as a response, an act of worship more than an act of your will. And they're very different now. I'm encouraging an act of worship, not an act of your will. Now, the awesome thing about worship is if you'll make your Christianity an act of worship and not an act of your will, an act of your will is up to you and it's about you. An act of worship is because of him and it's unto him. And you know what I love about an act of worship? An act of worship, oh, I still get discouraged. But when I continue to worship, or even when I don't worship and I don't follow through, I come back to him and he's the object of my obsession and worship. And guess what he tells me? I love you. I'm so proud of you. But you know what happens to my will? When I have to answer to myself, my own will, I'm not nearly as gracious with myself as God is with me. I end up telling myself, you're an idiot. You lead a whole church and you can't read your Bible every day. What is wrong with you? People trust you to explain it and you're not even reading it. And you don't even have a Bible degree. I do now because a school gave it to me. But that is another day and another time. So I might add, I do have a theology degree. And I highly recommend that. Just preach long enough until schools go, hey, man, can we just give you degrees? And it's a really good setup. Okay. I want us to talk now about um, the sixth and final habit. And there's many more habits we can discuss. But for the sake of the series, we just decided to we'd go over six sacred acts of worship in response to the gifted righteousness of Jesus. 
Here's the habits you can begin to develop and practice. Make your own list. My list is six. Yours could be 600. That might be a little bit too much, but, um, and maybe out of the six, God says, hey, I'm going to really start working with you in these two or three. And that's probably a little more realistic. Now, some of you, uh, you're the Tom Brady of Christianity, and you'll do all six, and that's awesome. And then you'll win, what is he, seven Super Bowls now? Six Super Bowls, like we care. All right, the point is, (laughs) sixth and final habit I want to talk to you about is daily forgiveness. And I kept this one last because, frankly, it it might hold the most weight. Meaning, um, did you know that the grudge you're keeping is actually the opposite of worship to God? Do you know that the grudge you're holding or the grudge I'm holding tells me something about me? And that is that I don't trust God as much as I thought I did. Because what my grudge is telling me is I got to hold this grudge because God won't. I got to I got to remember what this person did to me or no one else will. I got to make sure this person knows that they hurt me because God's not in control of their life and helping them on their journey. Oh, oh wait, maybe he he is. One um philosopher said this, forgiveness is when you set the prisoner free and you discover the prisoner was you. Grudges, and I use the word grudge because offense now is like, dun, 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 dun. and I think we wiggle out of the word offense. I do. Oh, I'm not offended. I'm annoyed. I never want to see them again. I hate their guts. And when I hear of other people who have the same name, I cringe. Okay, we'll call it a grudge. <laughs> we'll call that a grudge. You know, like, I don't know what we're supposed to call that, but that's like, uh, that's pretty intense, right? Like, it's starting to affect you. Now, the only reason I know what I'm talking about is because I'm familiar with grudges. I'm familiar with unforgiveness. And now, if you're going to say you're not familiar with unforgiveness, um, then you probably have might be a little bit bigger issue with unforgiveness than you're willing to admit. Because for the rest of us, this idea of not forgiving someone, even if your only experience is you held forgiveness out for 10 minutes or a day or two days, you're familiar. And what does the grudge tell us? The grudge tells us this person hurt me, they'll never do it again, and I'll make sure of it. I'll make sure of it. And then we tell ourselves to even galvanize the grudge. We tell ourselves, and they're going to hurt others too, so I'm going to have to tell everyone what they've done so they don't hurt other people because they're a nightmare, as if you and I aren't nightmares ourselves. Forgiveness. Think about it now. Think about it. I'm just going to be fun. We're going to have some fun with it. Just bear with me. We worship Jesus. For those of us that are Christians, those of us watching, those of us in this room in Dallas, Texas, we worship Jesus. What is the gospel? If you remove the forgiveness of God from the gospel, nothing about the news is good. Nothing. All the news gets bad. Jesus died on the cross, but not for our forgiveness. Wait, what? No, he died on the cross and he said, Father, don't forgive them. They know exactly what they're doing. Well, that changes the whole, I'm not trying to be cheeky. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying like, I mean, 
There's not a single person in this room or watching who knows anything about the Bible, who doesn't cringe a little bit when I say, Jesus hung on the cross and said, Father, don't forgive them. They know exactly what they're doing. Get them. You all go, ooh, Judah, he didn't. I don't think you can. Let's not joke about that. Because it's so important to us, and we so believe that Jesus went to the cross for our forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My least favorite forgiveness scripture in the Bible. Because I still argue, I think they kind of do. They sure know where to put the nails. They sure know exactly where to place the crown on your head. I think they whipped you exactly the same amount of numbers they always, I think, I don't know. They don't know what they're doing, but I love Jesus because what he was saying is they don't actually understand the eternal implications of what they're doing. Which is also to say, I came here to die. They're not making me die. I'm offering myself. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know. They don't really know what they're doing. So we worship a God whose news is good because of forgiveness. Now think about it. And yet, there's probably not one of us watching or in this room that isn't willing to admit, I've had some bouts with um, withholding forgiveness towards others. You know what that makes you and me? Hypocrites, by definition. That's exactly what that makes us. It makes all of us in this room, and by the way, if all of us are one, then we can just be honest about it. It makes every single one of us, we sing songs, you all have your favorite worship albums, your favorite worship bands, and if it's not Maverick City, it needs to be. You know, like, we all have our favorite worship music, and it's ultimately all culminates in the forgiveness through a person who's Jesus. And we can listen to our forgiveness albums, our forgiveness music, go to our forgiveness churches, read our forgiveness scriptures, sing our forgiveness songs, quote our forgiveness scriptures, and then we see that person across the room. Oh, Am I the only one that's going, what are we doing? What are we doing? The same, think about it. We will get all worked up about who people voted for, but we won't forgive our mother-in-law. You know what I say? Don't care as about, uh, much as about voting and forgive people. That'll do more for this country and any country than voting someone into office for four to eight years. I can promise you that much. Who you forgive. I want you to imagine for a moment if collectively just in the United States of America, we all forgave each other instantaneously. What would happen to the streets, the restaurants, the cities, specifically the churches? If we all just forgave, there would be whole churches that would just join back together because they used to be one church but because of unforgiveness, guys started new churches. I mean, can you imagine? And yet, preacher, don't tell me to forgive. Tell me who to vote for. No, I'd, I'd like to talk about what's eternal. And the good news of eternity is that forgiveness is free. 
But after we receive the free forgiveness of God, are you like me? I'm like, well, then earn my forgiveness. Oh, you want me to forgive you? Well, then earn it. First of all, you've never asked me to forgive you. So until you ask me to forgive you, I'm not going to forgive you. Where'd you get that teaching? Not from Jesus. You got that from culture. You got that from school. So again, when we start talking about daily forgiveness, and by the way, all these habits are daily. And if I've learned anything about forgiveness, it's daily. I'm going to tell you the truth about forgiveness. Sometimes you got to forgive the same person every day for the rest of your life. Every day for the rest of your life. And some people go, how will I ever have the energy to do that? Because you're going to wake every, up every day and you're going to go, I am who I am. Not based on my performance, but based on the performance of Jesus. Therefore, God forgave me and said, I didn't know what I was doing, but I kind of did know what I was doing. But he forgave me. If Jesus has forgiven me, I can forgive you. And who do you set free? You know, the truth is the people you think that you need to forgive so you set them free, the likelihood is while you're watching the sermon, they're somewhere having a great time. (laughs) And you're hoping to hear bad news about them because it's proof that that is what they've sown because they reaped this. See, when did we become people that wished harm on others to prove that our theology is better or that our Christianity is better? I don't know if that's the spirit of Jesus. I think the spirit of Jesus is is forgiveness. So again, we're, we're talking about sacred acts of worship that you do because of what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to read only one scripture, because if you want to approach the subject of forgiveness, you want to do a topical study in the Bible on forgiveness, I would do a little bit different because it's a very weighty study and it's a lot of content. So I'm only going to give you one verse and that's intentional because practicing daily forgiveness can be quite literally almost overwhelming. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. It's the love chapter in all the Bible. And listen to what it says. It says, love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seeks its own honor. Here's what love does. Love's not easily offended or irritated or quick to take offense. The Passion says, the Living Translation says, it doesn't keep a record of wrong. That word record in the Hebrew literally means a ledger. It's actually a financial term, like tax collectors and people like that who weren't necessarily loved amongst the Jewish people. They would have a ledger. Y'all know what a ledger is. Some of you know what a ledger is, and you, you keep track of all the... What are you keeping track of in your heart that nobody else can see? What are you keeping track of? Maybe, that maybe even unconsciously, you have started keeping a tally. Now, if you're like me, it happens honestly subconsciously. It's not conscious because my personality doesn't consciously go, Lincoln hurt me. I will never speak to him again. Like my mom said, Judah, I am loyal to you. And I go, mom, you're my mom. Don't, I don't want to, I don't like, like loyalty is not my thing. I wouldn't have been a great mobster at all. (laughs) I'm loyal to human beings. You're the most precious thing on this planet. Like, so I don't know about the loyalty thing. It gets me a little bit wonky and I don't see Jesus like demanding loyalty. And by the way, if you have to ask someone to be loyal, is that loyalty? 
preachers out here talking about churches need, you know, they preach to their congregations about loyalty. What? Why don't we just talk about love? I don't know. Like, love is loyal, I think. It's supposed to be. Anyways, when I look at Lincoln, it's very easy for me to be like, ah, oh, I love Lincoln. But if he hurt me, I've noticed my personality, what, what ends up happening is it's like an unconscious thing. And it's like somewhere in my soul, when I see Lincoln, I get a little twinge. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, man. And that practice builds up, doesn't it? It builds up, doesn't it? You start keeping a tally. You know why people get a divorce? Tallies. Ledgers. In all of my experience at 43 years old, you can imagine the amount of couples Chelsea and I have met with. I honestly, off the top of my head, I cannot recall a single couple that was like, everything was great until this one day and we got a divorce and it was over. It's never like that. The trajectory of a divorce is always little here, little here, and the couple goes, oh, I'll remember that. Right? And, and our, our marriage coaches tell us that when you're fighting, you have to fight fair, you have to fight clean. And one of the things you can't do is you can't go, well, guess what? In 2003, do you remember when you did that? <laughs> yeah, I bet you don't remember. It was June, June 12th, 2003. You said, no, I didn't. Yeah, you did. I recorded it. You know, like, oh my <laughs> word. Like, what are we keeping a ledger? Are you keeping a ledger? Are you keeping a tally? See, one of the practices that I think will keep you from harboring grudges and unforgiveness is that if you'll tally something else, tally something else, keep a ledger of something else. You could also do another tally. You know what you could start to tally? The blessings of God. And you were like, dude, I don't have a lot of blessings. Well, let me give you a few. You're here. From what best I can tell, you're sucking oxygen on planet Earth. That's a miracle, right? You're in Dallas. The Cowboys have a winning record currently during the recording of this broadcast. <laughs> you know, whatever it is, like the blessings can be arbitrary and they can be eternal. They can be weighty and they can be tiny. Why don't you start keeping a tally of the blessings of God? It'll change your demeanor. It'll change your decorum. It'll lift your spirits. The, um, one of the great, the, the Mayo Clinic did a study on grudges and they found that people with grudges have a significantly less lifespan. It's a fact. Science now is saying in your overall well-being, in your stress level, in your ability to operate in your talent, grudges will keep you from using your talent at its peak performance. I mean, you think you can, you know, imagine you're a sprinter in the Olympics. If you step up to that block and you're worried about a grudge you have towards someone, it might affect your performance. Now, some people use grudges and they win stuff, but you might win a track meet, but you might lose in life. Grudges affect your performance. They affect you being you. Mayo Clinic did a study and it's, you, you, should, you should read the article, all the list of all the things it negatively affects and then when you let go of grudges, all the positive effects it has. The dopamine that's released in your body when you set the prisoner free, which is you. And you go, oh man, I forgive you. And you know what's wild? 
A moment ago, we were talking about daily confession. Guess one of the the easiest ways to forgive and let go of grudges every day is say it out loud so you can hear it. I forgive you, Dad. Maybe your dad's like my dad. He's gone on to eternity. But you need to set the prisoner free because Jesus has already set you free. So in a way, unforgiveness is a lying sign and wonder to keep you from being who you really are, to soar in life. It says that grace reigns through righteousness, Romans says. I believe it's Romans chapter 14. Grace reigns through righteousness. Righteousness, again, it's positional. It's gifted by Jesus. You know how the free gift of Jesus, perfect performance on your behalf, has the run of your life? It's through understanding that you are righteous, that you've been given forgiveness, that you've been given forgiveness, that your sins are forgiven past, present, future. And I'm telling you, you want adrenaline in your soul? Start to speak of your righteousness. Speak of the free gift of Jesus and grace will have the run of your house. It'll have the run of your mouth. It'll have the run of your thoughts. It'll have the run of your relationships. It'll have the run of the hurts and pains you've received. I've been hurt by friends and it's like, yeah, welcome to 2019. I saw a meme yesterday. Someone sent it to me and they said, here's how you know you have trauma from this time period. You're still trying to process what happened to you in 2019 and you don't realize it's three years ago. Welcome to how it works. Welcome to life. God doesn't want you to live in 2019 or life would always be 2019. He wants you to live 2022. You hear me? It's a new day. It's a new year. It's a new season. It's a new chapter. Now, there are a lot of things we will never forget that happened during this season. And there has been unbelievable, imperative, important moments during our history that have been painful but necessary for the future growth of the social constructs of this country and many countries around the world. No doubt about it. But God goes forward. You hear me? He created linear time and space to never go backwards. It only goes forward because he made you that way. It's time to go forward. It's time to go forward in forgiveness. It's time to go forward in confession. And I end with this. Jesus tells a story about forgiveness. Maybe you've heard it. It's a parable. Now keep in mind these parables were stories invented by Jesus. So he's the author of these stories. These are not true stories. They're true. They're truth. But they're not actual stories, which makes them very interesting to me because Jesus invented these stories to explain our experience and explain himself. So he likens himself to a king or a ruler. And a man is, is, is owes this powerful ruler, remember, 10,000 talents. Do you remember the story? The man's in prison for life or until he can pay it off. And he comes before the king or the ruler and the king and the ruler, which is indicative of God, says, you owe me this. And he says, I can't pay it. He goes, I know you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Remember the story? He leaves the palace, probably the throne room, probably. You know, again, this is a story that Jesus came up with and he's out in the streets. And in that same probably hour or two, whatever, Jesus infers he's out in the streets and he finds someone who owes him a hundred denarii. And he says, you pay it back. You hear me? In other words, I don't forgive you. And he throws him in prison. 
and the ruler hears about it and calls him back in and says, really? Now, do you know what 10,000 talents are compared to 100 denarii? If you do the actual research in antiquity, let me give you a word picture, word picture. Let me just give you a picture of what 10,000 talents would look like. It would look like 8,600 men, each of them holding 60 pound bags of coins. If 10,000 talents were turned into coins, it would take 8,600 men to carry each 60 pound bags of coins. And if you put them in a single file line, it would be a five mile line. That's what that man was forgiven. And do you know what a hundred denarii is? It's pocket change. That we get in the message. Jesus is like, oh, you don't know what I forgave you? Imagine 8,600 men carrying 60 pound bags, stretching five miles long. That's what I forgave you when I forgave you. And your mother-in-law offended you and she owes you some pocket change. But you know what we do? We don't spend time thanking God for the 8,600 men carrying 60 pound bags with a five mile lineup. We, we're not even, we, we, in fact, I get, Sometimes I get emails from people like, your messages, Judah, they're just, they're always about Jesus and salvation and righteousness and like, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, because I think we want to focus on pocket change. When God is like, look what I did for you. Look what I, your forgiveness goes for five miles. The deeds, the air, the wrong, the selfishness. And preacher, tell us how to like, you know, forgive our mom. Oh, I tell you how to forgive people every time we get together, church home. Judah, teach us more about marriage. I do that every time we get together. You know the key to your marriage is? Recognizing there is a God who's so good, he forgave you 8,600 guys holding 60-pound bags for five miles. That's what you owe God. That's what you rightfully owe. That The, the, the wages of sin is death. You going to pay that back? In what lifetime? How many lifetimes will it take for you to pay back the righteous judge of the ages? It's impossible. So Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. Now, insert moment in marriage. You really hurt my feelings. You weren't there for me. And it's so real in the moment. And I'm mocking myself, not you. I'm mocking the emotional person in the marriage, okay? It's like suddenly I'm like, I'm going to give Chelsea the silent treatment. And you know what I need more than a preacher to teach me the tools of a healthy marriage? I need to remember in that moment where all I can think about is myself. The five mile line that God has forgiven of my selfish deeds and sinful acts. So that when my day presents another pocket change moment, I can go, pocket change. Oh, I'm sorry, but no, 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 dude, forget that. Are you kidding me? I'm not, I didn't, I, I wasn't yelling because I was worried about the hundred denarii, bro. Keep it. Here's another hundred denarii. Pocket change. Are we friends? Are we brothers? Love you. Where are those Christians who can forgive, who can move forward, 
move on. I, I think the reason that they're rare is because we have forgotten that the kingdom of God is about righteousness. And it produces peace and joy. And it says in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 70, which by the way, is part one of the series. And so we're going to summarize now in conclusion. Romans 14, 17 says, you'll always know where the king is ruling. What's a kingdom? It's the king's domain. How do you know the king is ruling wherever you are? There will be an awareness of your position because of Jesus' righteousness. And it will produce a transcendent peace and joy. And then it says, in the Holy Spirit. When you see the word Holy Spirit, the best way I can explain that to you is it means the manifest presence of God. So it means this, where Jesus reigns in your life, there's a sense at times of his presence. Not all the time. I wish it was all the time, but not all the time. But every now and again, you get that sense. Ooh, Jesus, I feel you in my car on my way to work. This is crazy. I'm listening to Chandler Moore right now, and I feel it, Jesus. Like, this is incredible. That's the kingdom of God. He wants you to experience his presence every now and again. But the overwhelming evidence is that I'm aware that I've, it's not about my performance. It's his performance that makes me righteous. And it gives me a sense of peace and joy. Now, from that place, when a pocket change offense happens, we're able to say, I forgive you, man. One of my favorite sayings lately, particularly since 2019, is, we're all trying. We're all trying. We're all trying. And to be honest, some of the things that you despise in other people's philosophies and worldview, in all likelihood, someone like a mom or a dad or a coach told them it was true. And until God meets them, it's going to be hard for them to not know it's true. As erroneous and as despicable as some of the worldviews that you see out there that you might not like, we really are all trying. You say, I don't know, Judy, you shouldn't justify some people. They're really, really mean. Well, I'm not on social media, so it helps. So my outlook on humanity is much more positive than yours. So be careful what you take in. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I know he's in love with you because I know he's in love with every human being. And you're a son and you're his daughter. And he freely forgives you. And now think of it. He welcomes you into the practice of freely forgiving those around you. And I, I promise I'm ending with this. Your forgiveness is one of the most tangible, beautiful acts of worship you can do in response to your king. He could say, I love you so much. And it's so cool that in this little sliver of a way, I get to look like you today because I know it's not a five-mile lineup of 60-pound bags with 8,600 people holding my sins. I know it's pocket change, but I love forgiving just like you do. What a privilege and what an honor. And you know, I don't know who I'm saying this to. Maybe it's someone watching. You're waiting for somebody to deserve your forgiveness. I'm just glad Jesus didn't wait for me to deserve my forgiveness. That's what makes the news so good. It's when I didn't deserve it, he gave it. And that's what makes the news so great. I really believe this. I think you and I, for those of you like me who struggle developing new habits like push-ups, I believe in 2022, 
you're going to see some habits of worship develop in your life. And I want to give you one little hint. They sneak up on you. And here's how the Holy Spirit oftentimes works. You're like six, seven, eight, nine months into like just loving Jesus and someone stops you and goes, how did you do it? And you say, do what? Um, you're always so encouraging with your words and you're going to go, oh my, I was going to say, oh my God, but we're in Dallas. Oh my word. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to go, I think that's like daily confession. I think I got a new habit and I didn't even know it. Because what ends up happening is you focus on Jesus, you're grateful to Jesus, and all of a sudden you're, you're going to a coffee and you're like, I'm going to really encourage my friend today. And then you do a few of those coffees and reputation starts to build and people start telling, you got to go to coffee with so-and-so. They're the most encouraging person I've ever met. And before you know it, you realize you've developed a new habit. So don't beat yourself up. It's really not about the first day or the first week. Just grow, just grow into it and let the Holy Spirit do His work in you. And I believe many of these sacred acts of worship will become habits in our daily life. Can I pray for you? Jesus, I thank you so much for the minutes and moments we share. Such a privilege and such an honor. We love you. Like we, we think you are the best person ever. In fact, we know it. And so I pray right now for anyone and everyone under the sound of my voice who maybe does not know your forgiveness. I pray right now, open hearts, open minds, to believe or receive the forgiveness that only you offer through your son, Jesus. If you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness that only Jesus offers, you're watching somewhere in the world, in a living room, or maybe a break room, or maybe a club, or maybe a friend's house, or maybe you and your roommate right now are up early, and you're in college, and you're watching this, and you're going, well, I don't know, man. I, I do. God loves you. And he's already paid the price for your total and complete forgiveness. If you would like to receive the forgiveness that only Jesus offers, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand and put it right back down. And I mean that for all those in the room here in Dallas and all those in rooms all over the world. If you would like to receive the free gift of forgiveness on the count of three, you can lift up your hand and put it right back down. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot up your hand. God, you see these hands all over the world. But what I love about you is you see our hearts and you respond instantly to the receptivity of your children all over the world. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for new beginnings and new starts that come because of you, Jesus, and we love you. We love you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.